From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, the Biden administration has announced they have pushed pause on the OSHA shot mandate for private employers. The administration took the action in response to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals placing a stay on the OSHA policy last Friday. However, the administration does not appear to be backing off of their quest for more power. We want control, and I think the confusion is at what level of control are you going to accept it in its endemicity? And as far as we're concerned, we don't know really what that number is, but we will know it when we get there. That was uh, Anthony Fauci at a press briefing yesterday at the White House responding to a question about what the federal government's goal is in terms of the pandemic. You know, if you can't define what success looks like, how do you plan on achieving it? We'll talk with Kansas Senator Dr. Roger Marshall in just a moment. To go along with their shots for tots, the Biden administration is pushing a toddler tax. How much? Who's going to pay it? Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee, is here with answers. And the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission released its 2021 annual report to Congress yesterday. What we found was that the Chinese are at, are at or near an initial invasion capability, which means the ability to conduct the land invasion of Taiwan, even assuming American intervention, albeit at very high risk. Former Senator Jim Talent of Missouri, a member of the commission, will talk with Asian expert Gordon Chang about both China's threat to Taiwan and we'll also get his readout on Monday's virtual meeting between President Biden and communist dictator Xi Jinping. We seem to have crisis du jour, but many of the crises we face are transitory. But there is another crisis in the making that will have long-term effects upon the country. George Barna is here to discuss Millennials in America, new insight into the generation of growing influence. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you on the website. And from coast to coast, border to border, pray together for life. Sunday, November the 28th, we'll be gathering for a national prayer event in Jackson, Mississippi, in advance of the U.S. Supreme Court hearing on uh, the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case. This is the case that could overturn Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that made abortion legal in all 50 states. To find out how you can be a part of this historic prayer gathering on Sunday night, November the 28th, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's the word TOGETHER to 67742. As I mentioned, the Occupational Safe and Health Administration, OSHA, has suspended activities related to the implementation and enforcement of its COVID shot or test requirement for private businesses in response to the order by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. But it also added that, quote, OSHA remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies, end quote. Well, does the Biden administration really think it has a case in court or is it simply trying to keep up the pressure on businesses to carry out their dirty work? Here to talk more about this is Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, who is a member of the Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship, a member of the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pension, and is also a former business owner and physician. Dr. Marshall, welcome back to the program. 
Tony, it's always great to be on with you. Good evening. Well, Senator, you've been leading the effort there on the mandate in the Senate. Uh, yesterday, all 50 senators signing uh, a measure on the uh, kind of uh, putting in process the Congressional Review Act on the mandate. But of course, now with this court decision, uh, the Biden administration pushing pause. Is this the end of it or are we going to see more of it? Oh, no, Tony, your listeners need to double down with action now. All your listeners need to be reaching out to their senators, their Congress members, and saying we do not support this unconstitutional vaccine mandate. We're going to have to fight it on the land, on the air, in the sea, wherever we can. The Congressional Review Act is one such way. Uh, another way is that we're going to be uh, introducing an amendment to the con to the uh, continuing resolution to stop funding for OSHA to enforce this law. Tonight, we're introducing uh, on the NDAA an amendment that would tell the White House they cannot give dishonorable discharges to service members who are declining the vaccination as well. So we have to keep fighting. Uh, this White House is not going to pay attention to the courts. Uh, the courts themselves describe this mandate as fatally flawed. They describe it as using a sledgehammer, a one-size-fits-all approach to an issue which is obviously very complicated. So this is just, uh, I think we drew first blood, but we got a long ways to go yet. Well, Dr. Marshall, a lot to talk about here. Th this was one of three mandates. We've got the mandate, uh, actually one of multiple mandates. We've got the mandate for federal workers. We've got a mandate for federal contractors. Uh, we have the mandate, as you made reference to, for the military. But then we also, one that I think is uh, near and dear to you, we have a mandate that the administration has put in place for all medical institutions that are receiving yeah. Medicare and Medicaid funds. This covers about 17 million health care workers. Uh, what's going to happen with that? There are challenges, but is that one uh, going to be stopped or is it going to go forward? Well, I'm afraid it's going forward. My phone is blowing up today from friends, family members who are in the healthcare profession, doctors I went to medical school with. These are smart people and they don't want to get the vaccine. It's a personal choice. I support the vaccine. I've had the vaccine. My parents have had the vaccine, but I'm not sure it's right for my grandchildren who've already had the virus. But, I, but I'm afraid that they're going to be let go. It's happening in some states already. We are approaching another Congressional Review Act process that we're trying to stop it. But this is becoming a skins and shirts issue that my friends across the aisle typically support mandates and my, and my friends on my side of the aisle don't support mandates. But I'm afraid this one will be much harder to stop than the OSHA one will be. I think that everyone agrees with the courts that a federal vaccine mandate for everybody with more than 100 employees is unconstitutional, but it gets a little stickier when you start working with the military, with federal contracts, that type of issue. So you heard uh, at the intro of the show, I played a clip from Dr. Fauci yesterday, asked it, all right, when do we get to a point where we've got this thing under control? And he essentially says, we don't know, we'll know when we get there. How do you yeah. fight something when you don't know what success looks like? Yeah, T Tony, I'm, I'm just as frustrated as everybody is. I had a doctor when I moved to Great Bend, um, one of our first conversations said, you know, once a doctor loses their reputation, they can never get it back. And I'm afraid Dr. Fauci's lost his reputation. I'm afraid this virus is going to be very much like the flu. Um, we have epidemics of it at bad years, good years. We try to pick the right vaccine. 
I'm afraid people are going to need a booster shot every six months, the way it looks like to me, until we get a better vaccine. Uh, unless, of course, you have natural immunity, and the CDC needs a needs to uh, uh, to to accept the the importance of natural immunity as well. So they're they're trading water over at the White House right now. The CDC has lost its credibility. Um, it does feel like it's about control, doesn't it? Well, uh, let's talk a few numbers here. The, the CDC finally put back up on their website the number of infection, the cases that were reported, uh, <clears throat> hospitalizations and deaths. And, and if I'm doing the math correctly, when you look at the number of cases that we've had in the United States uh, and the number of deaths, just taking 2020, uh, we had 375,000 deaths. I know that's, uh, that's obviously climbed since then. But when you do the math based upon all the infections, that's reported infections. Now, there's some that have not obviously been reported. We're talking about um, a mortality rate of less than a, about a half a percentage point, about 0.05%. When you look at the number one killer in America, it's heart disease. Um, and we, we lost last in 2020, 659,000 people died from heart disease. A lot of that, you know this as a doctor, a lot of that preventable by diet, exercise, health, you know, healthy living. The point I'm bringing up here, if they're able to mandate all of this action based upon a virus that has a 0.05% mortality rate, what's going to happen with heart disease? I mean, are, are, we, are we setting the stage for uh, the government telling us we have to exercise, we can't have 32-ounce uh, sodas? I mean, wh where does it stop? Yeah, you know, Tony, it, it is it is frustrating. Uh, this is why mandates don't work. Uh, this virus, I would suppose, ninety percent of the people that have died over the age of fifty, eighty percent over the age of sixty-five, and a vast majority of the rest are people that are frankly overweight. Has the CDC spent any time on encouraging people to build their own natural immune system using the food that God has given us? Uh, our own natural body's ability is the best way to fight a virus. Um, so you're so you're right. We, which illnesses are they going to going to pick on next, right? And and which scarlet letters are we going to have on our foreheads? Um, and I just can't imagine forcing people to take a vaccine when when you have a, a an incidence of mortality probably one tenth or one one hundredth of what you described there if you're under the age of thirty. You mentioned the National Defense Authorization Act. This is a measure annual bill. It's called a must pass bill. It provides the funding for our nation's military. But like everything else coming out of Congress these days, the left has uh, the, 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 the lion's share of the drafting of it, and they put all of their things into this, and there are several bad provisions in this measure, one of them being forcing women to register for the draft for the first time in 100 years since we've had uh, the selective service in place. Now, we haven't had a draft for nearly 50 years. Uh, but the selective service is still in place. Um, you've been a part of uh, leading the effort to try to get that out of the NDAA. Right, Tony. Look, I, I'm all in favor of women volunteering to serve in the military. And there's just so many women that are doing an incredible job. But, but frankly, I don't want my daughter drafted or, or my future granddaughters drafted either. I, I, don't, I just don't think that's a biblical principle. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, again, women in the military I'm okay with, but I just don't think it's a good idea to, to draft them. And, 
Right. I'd love to pick your brain on that a little bit. And well, I probably should. Well, I am uh, more than happy to have any of my daughters that want to serve in our military, and I've had those conversations with them. I'm proud of my service in the military. I'm proud to have served alongside of, uh, of women who have served in the, in the Marine Corps. Um, and, and for those that want to go, God bless them. Uh, but I do not think we should be forcing our women, our daughters, uh, to to register for and be forced into the military. I think there's a bigger gen, uh, agenda here, Dr. Marshall. It's not about the military and everyone having the opportunity. Everybody has the opportunity. This is about blurring the lines of gender. This is about further deconstructing um, Western civilization is what this is about. It's a much bigger issue here than simply the draft and selective service. Yeah, Tony, I think that's that's spot on. And um, I think that's where I ended up in my prayer time, too, as I tried to sort that one out a little bit. And I, I think we agree completely. Well, I know you've got a long night ahead. There's about uh, a thousand amendments waiting for the NDAA. It's going to take several days to get through them. Uh, I appreciate you taking time out to uh, to join us on Washington Watch tonight. And I, I want to commend you, especially as a freshman senator, leading the charge uh, on uh, so much of this mandate. I mean, you've got uh, a lot of credibility with your uh, colleagues there because of your uh, past service, your position as a doctor. And we're just thankful that you're using that to protect freedom. I'm humbled, Tony. I'm, I'm humbled that God has chosen me to serve him in this capacity, and we're going to keep fighting for Americans. All right. And uh, again, thanks for coming on today. All right, folks, stick with us. We're going to be coming back with more from Capitol Hill. Also, the uh, House is going to be taking up the Build Government Bigger plan. And uh, apparently the uh, CBO score is, uh, if it hadn't come out yet, it should be out any moment. We're going to be talking with Congressman Kevin Brady, the ranking member on the Ways and Means Committee, about a tot tax that's in there, as well as seeing what the CBO score says. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with a lot more Washington Watch right after this. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Is there really treasure at the end of the rainbow? Did I hear somebody say, I found a treasure chest in that sunken ship? It seems like everybody is looking for gold at the end of the rainbow. Listen to 1 Peter 1, verse 7. The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes may be found in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Parents, teach your children that the best treasure they can ever find is the treasure that's found in Jesus Christ. He'll fulfill all their dreams, maybe not with material possessions, 
but with love and joy and mercy and grace and peace. Show this by your example. Then teach your children that when they faithfully trust what Jesus did and who He is, they will find the greatest treasure possible. Instead of looking for gold at the end of the rainbow, why not look for the gold nuggets in the Bible? Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home. The church is growing big time in Latin America, and here's why. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. If you follow groups like Barna who measure church growth in America, they'll tell you it's somewhat stunted. In fact, it may have even dipped here in America. But it prompts you to look at where is it growing around the world. It's in places like Latin America because people are willing to suffer for the gospel. Let me tell you about a church outside of Caracas, Venezuela. They are rescuing women who are kidnapped and forced into prostitution by the drug cartel. They're serious about this. In fact, one of the members was killed by the cartel. His corpse pulled behind a truck to make an example to other Christians to stay out of the way to the cartel. But I can tell you this church is focused on what they believe God has called them to. And they have led more than a hundred women, former prostitutes to faith in Christ. And these women are needing Bibles because they're non-existent in that part of Venezuela. Please, at $5 a Bible, make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Welcome back to Washington Watch. By the way, taking a sip out of the Stand Mug. If you are looking for that perfect Christmas gift, well, I've got it for you. The Stand Mug. It's a uh, it's a big one, and it's made in the USA. So to find out how you can get your Stand Mug, go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, the House of Representatives is taking up the president's... Uh, Roughly $2 trillion social spending package, the uh, Build Government Bigger plan. In fact, just about 10 minutes ago, the long-awaited Congressional Budget Office released its score. And joining us now with uh, the numbers is uh, Congressman Kevin Brady. He's the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. In fact, just left a meeting uh, to join us on air. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. And yeah, we just uh, we just got the Congressional Budget Office score just a few minutes ago. Well, don't keep me in suspense. What's it look like? Did anyone really think it would pay for itself? Uh, the short answer, of course not. It is at least $300 billion short. Uh, and that's even counting the budget gimmicks that's in here. So their best effort, of course, uh, this is going to, to increase the national deficit quite a bit. But as you know, uh, the true cost of this bill over a decade is closer to $4.5 trillion. And I think by many estimates, this will increase the national debt by almost 25% and drive down the economy as well. And and, and that's giving them the benefit of the doubt of all the budget gimmicks. So yeah, the president's uh, claim that this costs zero uh, is simply wrong. Well, they've been uh, preparing for this, basically being dismissive of the CBO's numbers and their ability to score, saying they're not able to factor in what we're going to bring in by tracking down the tax cheats, uh, which is, uh, you know, very convenient. But let me ask you another question on this. Uh, You know, given these numbers, given the size of this, given the concerns about inflation, how is this going to help us when it comes to inflation? You know, it won't. In fact, it'll make it worse. A couple reasons. We already know from even the, the White House's favorite economic forecaster that when you put the infrastructure bill, the $2 trillion of spending for COVID earlier this year, and, and then this 
uh, bill together that over the next decade, we'll see on average about 2% higher uh, consumer prices uh, for Americans. So you ought to brace for inflation for quite a while. And it's pretty simple. When you're, when you're sending out trillions of dollars in the economy, but actually paying workers not to reconnect to their job, in this case, independent estimates uh, show about 2 million more workers will exit the workforce because of the spending in here. You know, you've got a recipe for not just high inflation, but but very persistent inflation. And that that is what I think has got most families and a lot of our small businesses very, very worried. Well, let's take one specific example of, of how this works, because this is this is basic. I'm, an, I'm not an economist. I took economics in college and so it's pretty basic stuff supply and demand you put more money in you have less product you're going to drive up the prices but let me ask you this question you've been around a while how many services or products or or things of that nature has the government subsidized and the price come down on oh gosh um the government subsidizes an awful lot and we saw this during covid where uh, all this spending, and a lot of it, look, a lot of it at the beginning especially was done fairly blindly. It was pushing money out the door because we didn't know, you know, how much we had to rescue this economy and, and, and get a handle on the health care. But, but as that cleared up, Washington just kept spending money and setting it down. That's why we saw, you know, an average family of four where both parents lost their jobs. We sent them government checks of over $109,000. And even families without uh, any either worker uh, being damaged at all, we were sending them $26,000. But we were doing the same for businesses, governments, others, again, all driving up inflation in a major way. And don't take my word for it, the Federal Reserve of San Francisco, not exactly a conservative organization, uh, you know, as, identifies that type of spending as the reason we've got much higher inflation. In fact, for this year, Tony, since President Biden uh, raised his hand, took the oath, inflation's on a 40-year high and doesn't seem to be abating at all. Well, you're not going to see it abate if you uh, are continuing to put trillions of dollars into the economy. Before we run out of time, I want to switch to this toddler tax that's uh, a part of this bill that this is, I think this is an example where the government gets involved. It drives up the cost of services like this. Yeah, the, the way it works is that uh, in this bill, they, they drive wages up. They subsidize wages for child care workers and with regulations drive up the cost. But they only subsidize a few families. So if you're a family of two teachers uh, making $65,000 a year, uh, by liberal estimates, they believe your child care costs will go up by $13,000 a year. So add $1,000 a month to the cost of child care. But here's what's worse for, for pro-life, pro-family conservatives and religious freedom. They are uh, banning faith-based uh, child care facilities from participating here. They go out of their way to make sure that a single mom who's got child care at the local church a block away will have to drive miles and miles away from work and away from home to get this government-directed health care. It is a direct challenge on religious freedom. And this is, you know, for forever, uh, Tony, frankly, uh, the government uh, by law has said, look, 
child care facilities run by faith-based organizations benefit the parent, not the provider. And they've always been allowed about half of the child care in America is provided this way. So this is a direct attack on faith-based child care organizations. And, and Congressman Brady, we're almost out of time here, but uh, the effect of giving the, the, the money, but only to be used for non-faith-based, the ultimate uh, outcome is it crowds out the faith-based entities because they won't have any, uh, you know, parents to serve because most of them are going to be attracted to where the government money is. Yeah, that is exactly right. It is. It, it strangles the faith-based child care, which for many of us has been such an important part of child care. Our, our, my wife, thankfully, was able to stay home, you know, as we raised our children. But but our neighbors and friends who use a lot of our local care, you know, they're going to be squeezed in big yeah. ways. And ultimately, it's going to make it harder for our faith-based groups to survive. Uh, Congressman Kevin Brady, always great to talk with you. And uh, we'll be following these developments very closely and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Take care, Tony. All right, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. All right, stick with us. Coming up next, the... Uh, China Commission releasing its report to Congress yesterday saying that um, China is moving and prepared on Taiwan. We talk about it next. Don't go away. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. You know, it's really hard to stay focused on the economy. We see so many things going on from a political standpoint in the uncertainty in the political world is just overwhelming. We have Democrats now just arguing over who to blame for Virginia. That happens to be a good thing, in my opinion, because as long as they never blame themselves, I'll be happy and they'll keep doing what they are doing. And self-destruction is not a bad thing. We have staggering increase in drug overdoses, opioid deaths or drug overdose topped 100,000 for the first time. And the year's not over yet. This is astronomical. Of course, it couldn't be our open borders policy. There are so many geopolitical issues going on with uncertainty in the political environment that is beyond description, all of these things obviously will impact the economy. It is looking more and more like it's going to be impossible for 2022 to be a good year. It doesn't necessarily have to be a year of a crash, but it will be a year, best case scenario, of trading sideways and just hanging on the flat line. But it is likely to be negative when we start getting first quarter consumer sentiment and business sentiment, business investment numbers. We have so much uncertainty to be concerned about, and it seems as though no one is really concerned. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I, I mentioned this earlier in the week, but for those of you interested in what's happening in school districts across the country and pondering the idea of possibly running for the school board, 
Uh, tomorrow afternoon, FRC Action is going to uh, have a special election report. Meg Kilgannon will be hosting that. It's a part of our school board boot camp series. It'll be from uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time to 3 p.m. Eastern Time uh, to register. Go to FRC Action. That's frcaction.org for this iteration of the school board boot camp, the election report. You'll get some stories of those who were successful in running for the school board, and you might pick up some ideas of uh, what you need to do next when that school board seat comes open uh, in your community. All right, yesterday, the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission released its 2021 annual report to Congress. The report covers a wide range of topics, including the Chinese government's evolving control of the corporate sector, China's nuclear forces, Chinese military capabilities, and much more. Now, one key finding from the report is the ability of the United States and, and Taiwan to deter military aggression by China, and I'm quoting, is in a period of dangerous uncertainty, end quote. Here's what former Senator Jim Talent, a member of the commission, said. What we found was that the Chinese are at, are at or near an initial invasion capability, which means the ability to conduct the land invasion of Taiwan, even assuming American intervention, albeit at very high risk. With me now to talk more about this and the uh, virtual meeting that took place on Monday between the two leaders is Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China, The Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon Chang, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. Let's start with this report coming from uh, the commission yesterday to Congress. Any surprises here on what they what they reported? No, there's no surprise in the sense that we all along that China has this near invasion capability. What's really important about this report, though, is it talks about urgency. The Pentagon believes that if there's going to be an invasion, it'll probably be in the 2027-2035 timeframe. And so, therefore, they recommend taking out weapons now in order to pay for modernization, to pay for weapons of the future when they think the conflict will occur. But this report suggests that we need to get ready now, in other words, to build up stores of munitions, also to harden our bases in the region. So this has a very different time outlook than the Pentagon does. And given some of the recent reports that we've seen from our military leaders, China is already ahead of us when it comes to military. I mean, they're about their Navy now reportedly is larger than ours. So we've got to move quickly if we're going to catch up within that time frame. Yes, and, and we don't see the urgency from the administration on this, as well as the administration is even thinking of changing our nuclear weapons policy in a way that would be make it more difficult for us to deter China. So this is not going in the right direction, Tony. Uh, Gordon, let me ask you your thoughts on President Biden and uh, communist dictator Xi Jinping's virtual meeting Monday um, based on the White House, uh, their report on the meeting. Yeah, this is a meeting which was certainly ill-timed. Um, but even if it was going to occur, uh, President Biden didn't raise the issue, which is absolutely critical, and that is the origins of COVID-19. 
because we're talking about 765,000 Americans who have been killed by this disease, according to Johns Hopkins. He should have talked about this. I mean, to not even discuss it is, to me, a dereliction of duty. We know that Biden didn't raise the issue in his two-hour phone call with Xi Jinping in February. We don't know about the 90-minute call in September, but he probably didn't raise it then either. This is really inexplicable. Now, the, the, the president, President Biden, that is, has been defensive, saying, you know, that uh, the communist leader is not his old friend. Uh, but in the opening comments, uh, President uh, Xi Jinping uh, made reference to Joe Biden as his old friend. Was that a was that a dig at the president? Well, it certainly was. Um, there's a little history needed here. If we go back a couple of years, uh, Biden has always talked about Xi Jinping at no relationship. About uh, a couple of months ago, Biden, in response to a question from Peter Ducey at Fox News, said, no, this is just business. We're not friends. And so I think Xi Jinping was trolling Biden by calling him, quote, my old friend. And it was good that Biden said, no, no, this is this is just a relationship between two countries. Well, interesting. A lot to watch there. China is one that I think we've got to keep our eyes on. So we're going to be talking to you uh, quite a bit, Gordon Chang. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you so much, Tony. And you're right. Ephesians 6.13, we must stand with the American people and freedom and democracy and our faith. All right. I hope you're still drinking from that mug. I certainly am, and thank you. All right, uh, Gordon Chang. You can find him on Twitter, Gordon G. Chang. And he has one of the stand mugs. You can get yours as well. Go to TonyPerkins.com. They make uh, great Christmas gifts. Coming up, America is facing a number of crises, but my next guest says the real crisis might not be what you think, but rather how some are thinking. We'll talk about it next with George Barna right after the break. Don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch to come right after this. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope? when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible. The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently, we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association, which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming. 
our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA streaming is now available. Learn more at AFA.net. When you hear this... This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Davis. Pacific Justice Institute is distributing a flyer that guides employees, parents of K-12 students, college students, and military personnel to our free legal resources on how to exercise their rights and protect themselves. This flyer can be downloaded, printed out, and distributed to various events such as school board meetings and rallies where PJI can be of assistance to those in desperate need of legal help. If you know of people in need of help as it relates to the vaccination mandates, visit pji.org to download the free COVID flyer under the tab for religious freedoms. Learn more about our ministry and get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org. Remember the website, pji.org. All right, let me remind you, coming up November the 28th, that's the Sunday night after Thanksgiving. It's a long weekend. Not much going to be going on on Sunday nights other than uh, recovering from eating the leftovers. But we're going to be having, we're going to be holding, hosting a... A historic prayer meeting in Jackson, Mississippi, which is the epicenter of the current abortion debate. The case out of Mississippi banning abortions after 15 weeks is going to be heard before the United States Supreme Court, the oral arguments, on December the 1st. So the Sunday night before that, we're going to be praying there in Jackson, Mississippi at New Horizon Church. We'll be joined from coast to coast, border to border. We're going to have the governor of Mississippi will be there. Other pro-life leaders from around the country will be there. Uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs will be joining us from the West Coast. We'll have individuals praying uh, at the Supreme Court, joining us live from there. We'll be on the northern border. We'll be on the southern border. And you can join us as well. In fact, I invite you to join us for this 90-minute prayer meeting. To find out how you can be a part of it, text TOGETHER to 67742. That's 67742, the word together. America is facing a number of uh, crises from economic and political to moral and cultural. But my next guest says the real crisis facing America is a worldview crisis. Recently, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, in collaboration with the nonprofit Foundations of Freedom, released the findings from its extensive groundbreaking project on millennials in America. Now, I warn you, many of the findings are troubling, but but there are some bright spots and reasons for hope. With me now to talk about the findings is George Barna, who is the director of Arizona Christians Cultural Research Center, as well as a senior fellow here at the Family Research Council Center for Biblical Worldview. George, always great to have you on the program. Good to be with you again, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right. 
how would you characterize millennials based on your study? Let's start with that definition. Well, I mean, the way we measure them is people born between 1984 to 2002. That makes them 18 to 37 years of age. The way I would characterize them as a generation is confused and in pain. I think what we discovered through the research is that this is a group that uh, has really been going through a number of transitions trying to find themselves. And unfortunately, they've bought into the cultural mandate, if you will, that to find yourself, you need to look inside rather than look to God. Yeah, looking through the uh, extensive survey, it, uh, I mean, just to summarize some of these uh, elements, they're searching for purpose in life. They have a crisis of meaning. Um, they have uh, record-breaking rates of suicide in this generation. I mean, um, they struggle with relationships. I mean, there's something missing. What is it? Well, again, Tony, I don't want to be like the hammer that sees everything as a nail that needs to be pounded. But when I look at all these issues, I think, oh, but it all goes back to worldview. Why is that? Well, it's because your worldview is what causes you to make every decision you make. And so if we look at the struggles, the challenges, the troubles that they're facing, it has to do with the fact that their worldview is errant. It's not serving them well. And so if they had a biblical worldview, most, if not all, of those issues would simply disappear. It's that way in our culture at large. You know, you opened up the segment by talking about all the different crises that we hear about on the evening news, the economic crisis, the political crisis, the border crisis, etc. All of those would be taken care of if America would get its worldview right. And what we know with millennials is only 4% of them have a biblical worldview. Now, I don't want to beat them up too badly. That's not too different than the rest of the nation where, you know, we've got 6% among all adults. So if we can take care of that crisis, much of the rest will take care of itself. Well, I'm with you. I, I agree 100%. So you can beat that nail all you want around here because, look, a worldview not only helps you understand, a biblical worldview not only helps you understand the world around you, but it helps give you meaning in the world in which you live. And that's how we put all these pieces together because without it, quite frankly, it doesn't make sense. And to me, just these findings on their face are evident of what's missing. And, and, and one of these is it, that three out of every 10 identify as LGBTQ. I mean, there is, there's a crisis of meaning. There's a crisis of identity that only... God can provide the way forward. Well, it's true. And when we look at all of these findings, I mean, basically what it comes back to is they had to make a choice. What is life about? And their decision, their choice was that life is all about me. Now, a biblical worldview would tell us, no, no, no. Life is about God. It's all about him. He created us for his purposes and so if we want to understand our meaning, if we want to get satisfaction and fulfillment in life, we've got to go back to him. We derive that from him and the purpose that he's created for us. The, the general purpose that all of us have is to know, love, and serve him with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. And if you start there and then work out from that, life takes on a lot of meaning. But if you start with the assumption that life is about me, 
I've got to feel it. I've got to sense it. I've got to experience it. There is no absolute moral truth. It's all about me. It comes back to me. If I just dig down deep enough, I'll figure it all out. That's a losing strategy. Okay, so we, we've kind of talked a little bit about the, the, the what, what we're looking at. Let, let's talk about the how. How did we get here? You, you talk about the, the lack of a biblical worldview, but you can't have a biblical worldview if you reject God and the Bible. Um, so what's, what's the religious makeup of this group? Yeah, I mean, most people don't understand that a worldview starts developing at a very young age and is completed by the age of 13. So what happens spiritually with us when we're very young makes a big difference. What this is basically telling us is that with this particular generation, we didn't do a very good job of raising them up in the way that they need to go for the rest of their life. What we basically did was we turned them over to the culture and said, look, you disciple them. You implant ideas in their minds and hearts about what is right, about what is meaningful, about what's significant. We can see how well that's worked. But, you know, really when we look at how do we deal with this, the church has to be uh, I'm, ever I'm not, present. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm going to get there. I, I, I got another question here I want to unpack because it's going to factor into that, hold that thought. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this question. Is this not a byproduct of pushing God and religion out of the public space, out of our schools, out of the culture? If we've turned, I mean, this isn't the first generation that's been heavily influenced by the culture, but it is the first generation that's had a culture that has completely pushed God out. Yeah, and Tony, when we study what is it that causes people to think what they think and do what they do, we find that there are a handful of key influencers and those happen to be the media, the family, public policy, schools, and peers. Those are the dominant ones for young people. The real big one is the media. And so if you want to know why people are turning to Marxism, secular humanism, postmodernism, Eastern mysticism, and so forth, so much of it has to do with, well, that's what they're hearing in the movies they watch. That's what they're listening to in the music that they play. That's what they're reading in the kinds of books and online websites that they visit, the kinds of posts they're getting, the video games they're playing. And so you, you combine that with the fact that parents have taken a hands-off approach to worldview development and said there are other people who are experts at this. I'm going to let them do it. And this is what we wind up with. Okay. Now we can go to the way forward because every problem has a solution. And this challenge is an opportunity for the church and for parents if we will take on the responsibility God has given us. And it really is. And Tony, you know, back a few years ago, you and I on the program talked about research we had done that showed that the church was not addressing the issues of the day. The pastor said, yes, the Bible speaks to it, but I'm not going to speak to it, not from the pulpit. That's too controversial. And so this is some of the payback for our unwillingness to address issues from a biblical standpoint. What we've got to have is a church that is willing to talk about what people are going through, yeah. what we're living with, the kinds of questions that are being asked in the public square. And so we can't retreat behind the church walls and say, I don't want people to get upset with me. 
if I tell them what the Bible says about these issues, they may not like that, and then they may not come back, and then we won't be able to have as big a church. That's not the issue. The issue here is the issue of truth. It is. In fact, Are we I, willing to give people that? That was a message I had for pastors on Monday night. I spoke to uh, the Louisiana Baptist uh, Pastors Conference in Monroe, Louisiana on Monday night, and it just so happened that about two weeks ago I was on Capitol Hill um, speaking to, uh, actually providing a devotional to the uh, the Republican Study Committee. It's public. It was out there, so I can say it. Uh, I occasionally go in and do a devotional for them. And, and we had a little extra time, so they were asking questions, and, and, and one of the members of Congress asked, and I shared this with the pastors on Monday night, asked, where are the pastors? Uh, why are they not speaking to these issues that so many people want us to legislate on, but the pastors are not speaking to? And that's not the first time I've heard that. And so I think it is incumbent upon the pastors to systematically, not cherry pick, but systematically walk through Scripture and help people understand in their congregations how to apply the Word of God to the world in which we live. That's the only way we develop a biblical worldview. It is that intersection of the Scripture and the world in which we live. Yeah, we're not at fault for not giving people a lot of information. We do that well. There are two things that we don't do well. One is connect the dots between those biblical principles, help people to see how it fits a decision-making matrix that will help us to make the right choices, and then how do you apply that in your life? If we can help them make those principled connections and then figure out how to apply it in life, that's going to turn things around. Yeah, and and George Barna, I'm, I'm you're not here to do this. I'm not here to beat up on pastors or anybody else. We're just pointing out that there's been a void, a vacuum that's been created that we have not spoken to. So that's one of the reasons for our Center for Biblical Worldview is to help pastors, and we have a number of publications, pastors available for you to help you look at what Scripture says about these issues so you can teach your people and develop within them a biblical worldview. But George, there's more. In fact, the one that I'm most passionate about, and I think you share this, is not just equipping the pastors, because sometimes that's too late to really affect the true change we need. We've got to get the parents beginning when those kids are in the cradle, probably still in the womb, helping develop that biblical worldview. Yeah, I mean, a biblical worldview starts developing at the age of 15 months. It's almost fully formed by the age of 13. So that says that's really where the battle is won or lost. And if churches want to help parents do that, they need all the help they can get. They can't give what they don't have. And so what churches can be doing is equipping parents with that kind of information and encouragement and other resources to help them get the job done. Don't let them drop the kids off as if the church is a babysitting service. It's not. What you need to do is preparing the parents to do the brunt of the work and the church is there to support them in doing that. Yeah, and in fact, we've even discussed uh, creating curriculum for pastors that when they do the uh, um, uh, dedication of children in a lot of the churches when they're first born is that the parents have to go through a class that would incorporate developing that biblical worldview. It is so critical, and it's not something that just happens. You've got to be intentional about developing, having those conversations of that intersection between Scripture and its application to the world around us. And one of the things that pastors can do to facilitate that is help parents know the significant role 
they play in the development of the worldview of their children and the incredibly significant role worldview plays in the way that they're going to live the rest of their lives. If they understand that, no parent wants to fail at being a great parent, especially those who love God. They want to do the best they can, but sometimes they don't even realize how critically important worldview is yeah. and the necessary role that they play within it. All right, George, we got 30 seconds left, uh, so I want you to fix the world in 30 seconds. Uh, look, I know the situation is bad, but can we turn it around? We can turn it around. We've got 15 million adults in America that have a biblical worldview. You can't show me a place where a movement of 15 million people couldn't turn an entire nation, the entire world upside down. We can do it. We just have to be focused on it and committed to it. And we're committed, and together we're going to make this uh, our life's calling and mission to uh, advance a biblical worldview. I know the left is going crazy right now, uh, that we're going to take over the world. But we're going to, I don't know, we may not take over the world, but we're certainly going to help build the kingdom. Uh, George Barna, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. All right. And folks, uh, I want to encourage you to check out the website, uh, TonyPerkins.com. But uh, it should have some links there to our biblical worldview materials. We have a Center for Biblical Worldview now here at the Family Research Council. George is one of the senior fellows there. And uh, Dr. David Clawson, who is on uh, every week developing resources for pastors, for parents, for uh, student leaders to help develop this biblical worldview. You've got to be intentional about it. So parents, this is your role, your responsibility. We'll help you do it. All right, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.